Are you struggling today? You're facing a decision. You're dealing with a certain person in a relationship. Uh, problems at work, school, whatever it might be. Well, I, w- I want to encourage you today. God has a great word to encourage you. I especially want to talk to the person today who says, Pastor, I, I don't know if it's worth it. I'm, I'm in this struggle and I don't know if it's worth the Christian life and, and really facing this. It just seems it's not, it's not working out. And I don't know if, if it's worth it. Well, I want to come back to the passage that I began last Sunday. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. And I, I want us to learn, really, how we can to, to live out the Christian life. Last Sunday, I, I talked about coming to know Christ. And it's one thing to believe in Christ. It's another thing to believe Him. It's one thing to have a relationship with Christ but how to live that out, how to flesh that out in daily living. It's hard. It's a struggle. It's a battle, as, as Paul makes very clear in our text today. So what I want to do is I want to read the passage. I'll review in a different way the point from last Sunday quickly and then get on with the rest of the message uh, that I have that God's put on my heart to share with you today. Paul's in prison in Rome. He's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says this. Just one thing, these are folks who are struggling. They're facing opposition for their Christian faith. Just one thing, a lot of things you could be focused on, one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind working side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is evidence of their destruction, but of your deliverance. And this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear about me. Well, first of all, how is it that we live in Christ? How do we do that? We've talked about knowing uh, uh, him and his life and why that is so significant. But how do we live the Christian life? How are we living in Christ? Well, first of all, it's live for the gospel. It's living for the gospel. The word live or conduct yourself, your lives, is another way that can be translated, is uh, a word that can be translated city. Uh, it can be translated politic. We get our word actually politic or political as you transliterate that word. It can also be translated citizen. And so he's saying to them in essence that you're a citizen in Rome in the city of Philippi. You're learning how to be a citizen in that culture. But you're also a heavenly citizen. And those cultures clash, don't they? We try to live out our faith for Christ, but we're living in this culture here. We're a citizen of Cape Girardeau. We're a citizen of America. And the country is changing. The country is, uh, is in, a, in a challenging situation. And so we need to be a responsible Christian citizen. Uh, and that means that we need to vote. A week from Tuesday, we'll be going to the ballot boxes. And we have the great privilege of expressing our opinion through a vote and I want to take just a moment and, and, and explain why the midterm elections are so important 
as it relates to us as Christian citizens being responsible for voting. First of all, there are several issues, and I just want to mention and highlight a few. I'm not going to drill down to these. I don't have time. But it, one issue is the mattership of stewardship of resources. You have in your home the responsibility of being steward of the resources that you have. You go to work and you earn a wage, and then with that, you're to be responsible. Through that, God has blessed you. He's given you not only the job, but the funds from that job, and you're to be a steward of what he owns, but he has given to you. You're to be a wise steward of those resources. Well, it's true in our nation. All of us are paying taxes, and we have to ask how are those taxes being used, and that those in office need to be wise stewards of those resources, and that's a biblical matter. Whether it's inflation, whether it's the economy, whether it's jobs or gas prices or all the rest, are they making wise decisions and being wise stewards of the resources that we have entrusted to those who are responsible to make those decisions? When it comes to justice, that's an overarching term, uh, but specifically we know it's a major issue concerning crime in our nation today. The whole issue of defunding the police, we've seen the results of that, and we're in dire straits because of it. And it means that we are, look, the government, one of the main responsibilities of the government is to provide a safe place for us to live. And so we need to make sure that that is happening and those in office are responsible for that. Under justice also means helping those who are in need, those who are hurting in our culture. And over the years, uh, the church has not done a great job in doing that uh, in, in, in general. When I say the church, I mean the big church, uh, all Christians in our country. We have entrusted the government to solve a lot of those type of problems when the church really has the opportunity to be a major influence in helping hurting people. And we've seen that with Care Portal in our church. In our community, we have a ministry. Care, for, Care, uh, Care Portal is simply a computer platform that is used to work with the Department of Human Services, primarily children, the children's division in our county, and helping meet those needs. And the goal is to keep the child in the home. And so you have been, done a phenomenal job in assisting uh, our community, our culture, and our church is known for that. And so I, I praise God for that, and it's good. But in the, in the nation, we're seeing that this is, th th these problems are trying to be solved in a way that will not work. And so it's a major issue. We need to have people who understand that and can handle it the right way. Third is the sanctity, and I'm not saying these in any certain order, but the issue of the sanctity of human life. The sanctity of human life. Uh, we need to be, have people in office who understand the biblical perspective of that and saving human lives. And, that, of course, that, that touches so many uh, different spectrums of life. Uh, again, I don't have time to talk about that. But I did a wedding in Nashville this weekend for a family uh, member. And uh, I, we were driving back, and uh, Karen shared an email that is absolutely horrific about how our taxpayer dollars are being used when it concerns this issue of the sanctity of human life. I'm not going to talk about it right now. I want to save it to January uh, when we get to the anniversary of Roe versus Wade because it, it, is, it is absolutely horrific, and uh, we're paying for it. 
So we need to have people in office who aren't doing those kinds of things. Also, when it comes to social and moral issues, the whole gender identity, transgender, how that's influencing the public school system and all the rest that comes with that, we need to understand how the Bible speaks to that. And somebody will say, well, I don't think pastors ought to speak about that. No, I must speak about it because of the confusion that's in the church and the false teachers that are in the church who are misguiding God's people. And the enemy has come into the church in order to try to neutralize us so that we're not effective in doing what is right and what is for the good as being responsible citizens in our nation and in our community. So the Bible is not confusing, and that's the problem. We don't understand what the Bible speaks about these issues. However, again, we need to be responsible, Christian citizens. However, circle the word however. Politics, the government, the laws of this land, those things are not is what's going to save this nation. Paul says, it is living for the gospel. It is changing one heart at a time. It's the church being focused, a laser-tight focus on the gospel. And we've talked about this over the last several months. But again, I say because of what we're going to do a week from Tuesday, that we need to help understand that we need to do our very best as Christian citizens. Remember, God instituted the church. God instituted the marriage and the family. He instituted that. God also instituted the government. Romans 13 makes it very clear that God has established the government, that it has a responsibility. And so we do our very best to put those in office who are going to help. But again, that's not the answer. The answer is the gospel, that we live for the gospel. And as I said last week, we possess it, we grow it as we study God's word, as we pray, we share it. We help others come to know Christ to experience transformation uh, and, and, and to experience life as God intended and then to apply it in our daily walk. So remember, living the gospel is not really about you living the gospel. It is about Christ living through you. We can't do this on our own, that Christ has to do it through us. Now, how do you live in Christ? Not only do you live for the gospel, but secondly, you stand for the gospel. Verse 27, then when I come to see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Now, how are they to stand? How are you to stand? Well, notice, first of all, that we need to be committed. He says, standing firm. Now, this is a, a military word that was used in that day and time of a soldier who is standing his ground. He is going to die standing there in that place as the enemy comes. He's not going to give ground to the enemy. He's going to stand firm. And they are to stand rooted in Christ, trusting in Christ, loving Christ. It is standing on the authority of Christ. It's standing on the truth that they have received in their relationship with God through Christ. Now Paul is encouraging the stand. Why? Because of the persecution and because of the opposition that they are facing, as he says in the following verses. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? How are they to stand? Notice they are to stand, being committed, and to be in unity. Verse 27, he says, in one spirit with one mind. These are parallel words meaning the same thing. 
Uh, in the church, we have different opinions, different ideas about things. And there needs to be a free flow of communication uh, in, in any venue of life. It has to happen in church and anywhere else. But we can't be in a position of being divided. He's speaking against divisiveness, those things that are causing divisiveness in the church. And so we live in unity with one another. We are focused on the gospel. That's what brings us together. That's the message. We don't have a conflicting message to the culture. It is about the gospel. Now, how do you live for Christ? You live for the gospel or live in Christ. You live for the gospel. You stand for the gospel. Notice third, you fight for the gospel. Verse 27, working side by side for the faith of the gospel. Working side by side can also be translated contending, struggling together. Now notice that Paul is already using several metaphors here. He's using the political metaphor of a Greek city and the citizen in that city. He's using the military metaphor of um, a soldier standing firm, standing his ground, not giving way to the enemy. And now he's using an athletic term. He's talking about those who are on a team and they're working together. They're contending uh, for one purpose. And they act together as though they have one mind. It's like all the pieces of the orchestra that have different sounds, but they come together in unity with one mind following the conductor. And they have a beautiful piece of music that they present. It's true of a team, that they're together on the game plan. And whenever they operate, it's one mind. This guy knows what the other guy's going to do on his team. It's, it's something that is innate in them. And that's how it ought to be in the church. He said we need to be working together for a common purpose. And listen, he says that we are fighting against a common enemy. The enemy is not the culture. The enemy is not people. The enemy is Satan. That's why Paul says this whole uh, military idea of standing firm. Paul affirms that in Ephesians 6. He's talking about the armor of God. And he begins that whole passage by saying our battle is not against flesh and blood. The battle is not between you and your spouse, you and your child or child with you. Your battle is not with your co-worker. You may work in a pagan place of employment. And, and you could say, well, well, pastor, I mean, these are pagan people. No, there's a Satan that is behind all of it. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand the spiritual warfare that is taking place. Because you are a believer in Christ. And because you are there, that God is there, and Satan's going to try to oppose you. And so that's where the enemy is. That's where the focus has to be. And we need to be together understanding that's where the fight is. It's a spiritual battle. And it begins with us. The world mostly hears what we're against than what we are for. And Paul says we are fighting, we're in a fight, and we're fighting for the faith of the gospel. For the advancement of the gospel. So, again, how do you live in Christ? Notice he says that we're to be courageous for the gospel. Verse 28, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Now the word frightened there is, is a word that was used in that day and time of a horse that becomes spooked and gets frightened and it overreacts. 
and, uh, and, and so it's responding to something in its environment that causes it to be frightened. I didn't really understand that until many years ago, uh, back in the 90s, uh, probably 30 years ago, I guess, maybe, that uh, my son and I, Will, he was about in the second grade, and we went horseback riding with Charlie Hahn. I was on a horse, he was on a horse, both of them owned by Charlie. Uh, uh, Pam Banderman's dad, Kim Patrick's dad, both of them in our church. And uh, Charlie and I used to ride on occasion, you know. Uh, I would say, hey, I need to work the kinks out. And so we'd just ride for hours at times. And it was uh, one of those settings that we were in the woods and something happened that spooked my horse that reacted and then Will's horse reacted in the same way. I stayed on my horse, Will fell off. And when the horse reared its, uh, its, its front end, it landed on Will. One of the hoofs landed on Will. And it was just a minor injury. But believe me, I was very judicious in how I explained that when I got home uh, with my wife. But, but the point is, is that he, the horses got spooked and they reacted in such a way that it caused a greater problem. Now he's saying that your opponents are going to do something and he says that often you can respond being frightened. And he says you don't want to do that. He says you want to stand face to face against that opposition. You want to stare it down. When the enemy comes against you, you don't get frightened and don't get spooked and move away from the issue. You are embracing the issue. You think about our Lord and Savior who faced the cross. You talk about a frightening situation that would easily have caused him to be spooked and do everything possible not to go to the cross, but instead he embraced it. He stared it down and he won the victory. And Paul says that when we do that, it is proof of your faith. It gives evidence to your faith. It is an affirmation of your faith, but also it says to the opposition, their destruction. By the way, we act, listen, the world is watching how we are encountering the battles, the struggles, the problems that we're in. We have the great opportunity to stare it down. Not in a mean way, of course, but lovingly responding to the opposition that comes to us. And we stand firm. On and on again, don't you hear what Paul is saying? We are standing against it. We are fighting against it. We're fighting for the gospel. It's all about Jesus Christ and not letting it spook us. Notice he says in this idea of, of facing our opponents and our deliverance. He says, this is evidence of our deliverance. He may be alluding to the gladiators of that day and time who were contending together, fighting together in that arena, trying to live. And their life or death stood in the hands of a fickle crowd in the arena. And what would they do? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Life or death? Now listen, in the fight that we're in, it's always thumbs up with God because he's in charge of the battle. The battle is the Lord's. And so, look, you're struggling. You're hurting today. You're wondering if it's really worth it. I want to encourage you that it's always thumbs up and God will 
deliver you. How do you live in Christ finally? We suffer for the gospel. Verse 29. Very important verse. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. Now when you read that, for it has been given to you, in some ways it sounds a little passive that that I've kind of stumbled into this opposition or it's come against me. But notice what he says. Literally, the word is this. It has been graced to you. It has been gifted to you. Not only to believe Christ, but to suffer for him. So believers have been privileged or graced in two ways. We've been graced to believe in him. God has given us the eyes of faith that we're able to trust in Christ, to rest in Christ, to surrender all to Christ. We're trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross for our salvation. But at the same time, he says, it's been graced to suffer for Christ. So you see, believing in Christ and suffering for Christ goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. I mean, we think that the Christian life is going to be this thing where, hey, man, God loves me. I love him. And and he's going to be faithful. We sang it a minute ago. He's going to be faithful to me. What does that mean, faithful? Well, he's faithful when it's hard. He's there when we struggle. And until the very end, he's going to be faithful. So the idea that I can become a Christian and and I'm not going to have any problems is not true. In fact, a person who says they're a Christian and never faces opposition or suffering in some form or fashion, it begs the question, am am I going in the same direction as the enemy? Because if we're really living in Christ, we're going to suffer for Christ. If the gospel is the most important thing in our lives, Jesus, then believe me, you're going to face opposition. Somebody might be here today and say, boy, I didn't, I'm thinking about being a Christian, but after hearing this, I don't know. Well, listen, you're going to suffer one way or the other. You're going to suffer with Christ or for Christ or without him. One's good and one's not good. So if we're going to suffer, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to suffer for Christ. Because that way you have his hope and you have his help that you need. How is suffering for Christ a grace? How is it a privilege? Well, first of all, you grow closer to Christ. You know, when I counsel people, often I find them letting the circumstance drive them away from God. And I try to encourage them. This is what you can do. You can encourage them to let that suffering drive them to God. Think of the option. Just stop and think about it. As Paul says, consider. What are your options? You're going to let this suffering drive you away from God? Where is that going to lead you? Or drive it to God? And where will that lead you? Suffering confirms your salvation in Christ, as I mentioned earlier. Suffering for Christ means that you will be rewarded for your faith. Suffering is used to win unbelievers to Christ. As I said, they're watching you. They're watching you stand firm in that. 
in the face of opposition. When all hell's coming against you, in sickness, problems in relationships, when the money's not there, how do you respond? It can win someone to Christ. What, what, what's different about you? You can tell them about Christ. Suffering empowers you against Satan. The greater the battle, the greater the strength. When I am weak, then I become strong, Paul says. That his power is made perfect in my weakness. Well, Paul modeled that suffering for them. He said, you, you've heard about it. And you hear, even now, I'm struggling. He was in prison when he wrote this. But he says, we're in this struggle. God's granted it. Not only to believe, but to also suffer. So I want to ask you a few questions as we close today. Why are you living? Why are you here? What is your purpose? What's the end game? When this is all over, what do you really want out of this? You are Christ. You are Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There's somebody here this morning who would say, Pastor, I recognize today that I don't have a relationship with God. And I need to do that. I know about Him, but I really don't know Him. You talk about believing in Him and believing Him. Well, I've never taken that first step of really trusting Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And so what that means is is that you you come to a point where you recognize that you've sinned against God, who is holy and just, and He has to punish sin. And, And Jesus came, God's Son, to die on the cross to take care of your sin problem. He paid the price for your sin. And with that knowledge you're willing to change directions. We call that repentance. Instead of going your way, now you're turning from sin and self and you're turning to Christ alone for salvation. And then you begin your journey of faith. And you may not be exactly sure how to do that, how to make that transaction happen. But that can happen as you come today to one of the pastors who will help you and explain to you how to give your heart to Christ. There might be several in this room who would say, Pastor, I love the Lord, but I am in the struggle. I'm in the battle. And I need help. And I'm, I'm, I'm losing hope. Well, fear not. Don't be afraid. How many times do we read that in the Bible? Be strong and courageous. Listen, God is on his throne. God knows your circumstance. God is not only omniscient, knowing your situation, He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Maybe it's time in this season of your life to say, Lord, I've done all I know to do. Now I, I turn it over to you. Help me, God. Help me to give it to you and let you handle it. And help me to rest and experience your peace. There might be someone here, a family, that God is leading you to become part of the Linwood family. We would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here and through our church. You come. 
Others may want to come and kneel here at the altar and pray, or maybe you want someone to pray for you, then you let us know and we'll do that. God, how I praise you for your faithfulness. It is great. And it is good. Even when it's tough, even when it's hard, and we want to give up, we want to quit. Lord, thank you that you're always there for us. Help us to get our eyes off our circumstances and get our eyes on you and on the gospel of Christ. Letting that be the focus. Help these who need to come now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.